Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today's guest is Stephen Pratt. Stephen is the CEO of Noodle.ai, a San Francisco-based startup that uses artificial intelligence to create a world without waste. Focused on reducing the carbon footprint and driving economic value for enterprise clients, Noodle.ai has been named one of the most innovative artificial intelligence startups. Stephen is joining us today to talk about his current work and career journey, which includes founding and leading Infosys Consulting to an $800 million portfolio, as well as acting as the global leader of Watson for IBM. Thank you for being here today, Stephen. Uh, thanks. Great to be here. So for the listeners that um, are getting to know you a little bit better, would you mind giving a brief overview of your career journey? Sure. Um, well, you know, uh, after being a busboy and sweeping tennis courts <laughs> before college, uh, uh, my my first I got a, a undergrad from Northwestern in electrical engineering, uh, and the first thing I did was uh, work in uh, satellite communications um, and actually doing uh, spooky stuff for the government. So I spent a lot of time in vaults, uh, working on electronic warfare, uh, trying to hide signals and noise, and trying to find signals and noise. Uh, so I did that. Um, then I transferred within Booz Allen and Hamilton to uh, the commercial side um, and uh, did work um, all over the world, right? Um, probably most notably in Budapest, Hungary, I spent three months uh, helping them figure out what the regulatory framework should be for telecommunications. Um, and, uh, and then one of the last things I did at Booz Allen was uh, an AI project. Um, this is back in the early 90s, which was try to apply learning algorithms to find out which uh, ships off the West Coast were bad guys, uh, were, were drug smugglers specifically. And so we would feed in the data and, and, and of, the, of the tracks and the time of day and all this. And, and, uh, and of course the data would come back and, and and say that uh, we think that ship was a bad guy, but it was, but it took multiple weeks and the ships were long gone. And of course it was not practical and it cost, you know, a lot of money to run the computers. So, but it planted an idea in my head that, that AI, that computers that could learn were really interesting. Uh, so fast forward, I spent uh, 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 12 years at Booz Allen and Hamilton, or I, I'm sorry, at Deloitte Consulting um, I started the CRM practice, customer relationship management practice, before that was even a thing, um, and then worked with uh, a small IPO company called Siebel Systems uh, and built, built, basically built that practice over more than a decade with Deloitte, um, and that became a very, very large practice. Um, I became uh, one of the top partners at Deloitte. Um, I was actually elected to the board of directors of Deloitte Consulting. Uh, when they were uh, gonna, we were going to spin off as uh, Braxton during that time. Uh, but then I, I was sort of at the top of Deloitte and, and, and was kind of bored and said, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life here. So I uh, actually went back to client service because I love serving clients. 
And I did the first ever project using India, right? I, I, you know, the internet happened and I thought that uh, Deloitte should be using global teams because there's talent all over the world. Uh, and so we did part of our project uh, in India and it, and it was just, it was just better. It was a lot less expensive for the, for the client. It was much, much more profitable for us and the quality was good. Um, and went to Deloitte and said, like, left full rudder, we need to do this. And, and they basically said, no, we're not going to do it. So I, so I left and I approached uh, Infosys, who I'd never even heard of at the time, and said, hey, I have an idea. Why don't we build from India into the U.S., into the global market? So, so I recruited four other, four other uh, co-founders and we started that from nothing. Um, spent 10 years building that. We were 32,000 people when I left, like um, about, uh, about $3 billion in revenue. Um, and then I'd had enough of that. I got bored again. I quit. Uh, this is 2014. Uh, then I was a little tired. So I went, I was, became president of my tennis club just for fun. And, and, uh, and, and then, and then this idea of, of combining enterprise core enterprise problems and AI, uh, was, I thought that company would be a really cool company, uh, approached, uh, TBG, which is a large private equity company, one of the largest in the world and said, Hey, let's go buy a company that's doing this and I'll go run it and we'll turn it into something great. So they hired me and we spent almost a year looking for this company, uh, concluded it didn't exist. Um, and, and I, I couldn't spend my life shopping for companies that didn't exist. So uh, a friend of mine at IBM called and said she wanted me to run all the Watson implementations worldwide. So I did that. Um, turned out it wasn't what I wanted to do at the time and didn't fit what I, you know, what I, what I wanted. Uh, so, I went, so I quit, went back to TPG and said, okay, I'm ready. Let's go start this company. And that was the birth of uh, Noodle AI. That's, so that's what I'm doing now. Thank you for sharing that background. Um, gosh, there's so much to dissect there. and so many interesting <laughs> branches that I can take from a conversation perspective. But I think that the what I'm curious about, especially kind of the genesis of, of your journey within AI, was really around being able to kind of uh, use it for defense purposes. It sounds like that was kind of the first um, foray into AI. Yeah. Um, right. What about that moment? What did you see if we were to kind of flash back? Because you said it was kind of served yeah. as maybe a pivotal moment for you. What went through your head when you saw that implementation? Every everything that I had seen up to that point in computer software was someone sitting down and typing out rules, and uh, and and you have a specification, and then you type those rules, and then the software did that, and it was. And, you know, you thought that was pretty cool that it did what I wanted it to do. What was different about AI is, is you fed in data and you didn't program any rules and it figured out the rules and the machine figured out the rules and, and came up with non-intuitive answers that would be beyond human capacity. And, and also the more data you fed it, the better it got. So it actually learned. And so it was kind of this this living, evolving 
piece of technology that to me I'd never I'd never seen before, and that was super exciting because it went from this static, uh, uh, inanimate thing that got worse over time as the rules got more and more out of date to this thing that was constantly improving and 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 was doing things that were beyond the capability of anyone to program. I thought that was, it was for me, that was like, holy crap, that's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and since obviously you had some, some barriers back then in terms of time, right? It, it, you know, the outputs weren't as quick, so it took some time to, to get up to, to where you wanted it to be. Because you had such an extensive career in artificial intelligence, when do you feel like the technology caught up with the imagination in terms of what um, the art of the possible could look like? Uh, well, I think it's still catching up. Um, I, I think uh, where it became economically viable to do things in the enterprise, in, in large corporations, um, I would say, you know, uh, uh, early 2010s, right, was the time where it, the cost of the data, the cost of the compute power, the cost of the data storage, the time that it took to get a relevant answer back had all crossed thresholds. And at this point, it, it, you started being able to have generate business, positive business value versus the investment required. And, and, and so I, I think it was about that time. So, so ironically enough, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but IBM Watson came out right around 2010. Is that right? Was it was int formally introduced around 2010? Uh, I, I believe that's correct. I think maybe, maybe, I think it may have been a couple years before that. Um, but I think, um, you know, Watson at the time, you know, it, it, of course they made no money on it because it was just designed for the game show Jeopardy. <laughs> so, so you could do things. I mean, you could invest millions and millions of dollars and do things. It's just the economics weren't there for it to be broadly applied. And so Watson as a business uh, appeared much later. And because you had some early exposure to, to, to Watson, what, were you, what was your impression of it early on? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Watson focused, uh, especially at the time, on natural language processing. Right, and which is a which is one application of AI. Um, it's it's not the one that we're using a noodle, right? I, I you know I, I you know there is both what's called structured data, which is mostly numeric numbers and and things you can put in like an Excel spreadsheet, and then there's unstructured data, which would be voice, video, text. So Watson at the time focused on really unstructured data, mostly text. And so if you had a problem that focused on people understanding text, it, it, did a, it, 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 it would do that exceptionally well. Um, however, that's a pretty limited set of things, right? And if you think of most business problems are numeric in nature, right? So when you look at inventory levels or you look at uh, uh, sales forecasts or you look at even, even a lot of customer analytics are numeric in nature. So, um, so we decided to go a different direction in our technology. Now, Watson has evolved since then, but uh, that's what it was at the time. 
So for the listeners that aren't as familiar with Noodle.ai, uh, would you mind giving a quick overview of uh, what it is and what its main value proposition is? Yeah, so it, the, the intention of our company is to create a world without waste, right? There, there is about 90% of the waste in the world is from industrial sources, specifically manufacturing and supply chain. And that waste generates both environmental waste, but huge economic waste. Right. If you think of excess inventories uh, or lost sales, or you think of 50% um, uh, of the trucks driving around are empty, I mean, you're talking billions and billions of dollars of economic opportunity. And and so we have uh, so what so what we do is we have we have two application suites. We have uh, Vulcan, uh, which is focused on manufacturing and increasing the uh, the efficiency of the manufacturing plant. Uh, and then we have Athena. Athena is focused on supply chain efficiency. And these are really, you can think of them as sort of a, a layer of intelligence that sits on top of traditional enterprise systems like ERP systems or, um, or um, MES systems. I'm curious about the names, because Athena and Vulcan. Yes. What's the genesis behind that? Right. So, so uh, well, they're both gods, right? Vulcan is actually the god of manufacturing, and Athena is the goddess of commerce, right? Among other things, uh, Athena is also a little bit of a troublemaker, um, and which we like. Um, you know, we're 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 we fully embrace good trouble, right? We're like we're huge advocates of good trouble, right? Necessary trouble. And and uh, and Vulcan, of course, just for the Trekkies, has a nice uh, additional quirkiness to it. Um, so, a noodle. If <laughs> like, how do we come up with a noodle, right? Uh, um, so, if you well, you have tried to name a company because you did, right? <laughs> so, so, so naming a company is an excruciating process, um, and we hired a naming consultant and and rejected everything and 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 I think we were it came down to the founders and and I think the finalists were like intelligenesis or something like that or it, and I and I'm like no it has to be has to mean thinking brain right learning and it has to be fun quirky memorable right and uh, and so I uh, uh, so I insisted um, noodle noodle and then the AI URL had just become available. Um, it's uh, it's actually, I believe, Antigua is the country code, right? AI. So they're having a surge in revenue from the AI URLs. Uh, sure, sure. That, that's how we came up with Noodle AI. So the the, the part of the premise, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but that um, it uses artificial intelligence to kind of in in some branch of it, kind of scan. You know, your operations and it, it's able to come up with different ways for you to kind of reduce some of that waste. Yeah. So on the manufacturing side, specifically, we're focused on keeping plants running. Um, there is uh, hundreds of billions of dollars lost in unplanned downtime, which means the, the plant just stopped working. And there's also hundreds of billions of dollars lost in product quality. In fact, about 15% of everything that's manufactured is thrown out in the process. 
So what our applications do is they actually ingest about 30,000 uh, data streams from the sensors in a, in, a in a typical mill. And they find very complex patterns, uh, correlations um, uh, in, those, in those sensor values that tell you that something's going wrong in your plant and you need to fix it, or something will go wrong in the future in your plant and you need to fix it, or the way the plant is configured right now is going to lead to a defect in your, in your, in your, in your, in your product. So, uh, it, you know, AI is just math, it's just really complicated math. And so, uh, we solve those mathematical problems. So that, that's what it does on the, on the, on the manufacturing side, as an example. Yeah, I'm curious about the sensor aspect of it. So, um, reading sensors, getting all of these inputs, being able to analyze that, what does that typically look like from an implementation standpoint? Does it require additional hardware to support it, or you literally just kind of the the software layer on top of existing manufacturing processes uh, for that specific part of the business? Yeah. So, so typically, what we do is we it, it's just the software, um, but we also, in some customers, have put in edge devices. So we will actually put a device in the factory. Um, and we can, we, and because there's so much data that is being produced, we also have the capability to uh, do what we call as AI on ingest, which actually sorts the data into, you know, probably interesting, probably not interesting. Uh, and then the probably interesting data you put in high cost, high cost, high accessibility storage and the probably not interesting data you put in low cost bulk storage. Um, and so, but that's generally a more advanced implementation of our services, of our, of our applications. Um, you know, so, so typically we're, you know, we're, we started out as just software with AI models in the middle of it. Um, so we, we just ingest the data, you know, the, yeah, from, from the customer work with some extremely large uh, organizations and I'm curious what, what are some of the use cases and, and things that they found after implementing Noodle.ai? Yeah, so on the manufacturing side, uh, like I talked briefly about is uh, asset health and product quality are really the two main focus areas. On the, on the Athena side, uh, we, we focus on uh, really uh, understanding and predicting uh, uh, supply demand imbalances. Um, and so we will look into the future uh, and say, uh, it is likely that you're gonna run out of uh, this specific product in this specific distribution center at this specific time. Therefore, you, know, you need to correct that problem. In fact, we can even go back up into production and say, you need to change your production schedule so that you produce more of this. Um, the way this reduces waste is there is that generally companies hate lost sales. Uh, and so they, so they keep putting more and more inventory into, into the channels. And so, you, so it is very common to see a full warehouse of, of one product over here and empty shelves of the same product somewhere else, right? And in typical, ERP systems like SAP just can't handle this this problem, 
right? It was never designed to solve this level of mathematics. Um, and so really what you need is a layer on top of it. And so, so that, that, those are the main things. So I have to imagine, uh, especially during the pandemic, I mean, I, I know we've seen quite a bit of our clients from CPG side to even healthcare um, have challenges just around supply, right? In some cases, there's demands going through the roof um, on certain products, for example, you know, consumer packaged goods on the food and beverage side, people are staying home more, they're yeah, right. consuming more. You know, have there been any interesting findings that have come out in the last eight months of different clients that you've worked with as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I mean, extraordinarily interesting. I mean, I can't imagine a more interesting time, you know, recognizing that the tragedy of all, right? I mean, it's like a horrible, a horrible thing. But from a from a keeping the world supply chains running in food, which is an important thing, um, we actually saw the disruptions in the supply chain coming very early, right? Uh, coming from different parts of the world, and, and like we we're like, what's going on? Um, and and you're right. I mean, a lot of people say uh, uh, a typical response was make as much of everything as you possibly can, right? And but it turned out it was a lot more nuanced than that. It was nuanced by product. It was nuanced by time, and it was nuanced by geography. And so getting these dimensions right of these surges in in products and the different stages of demand, right? So for instance, for packaged foods, uh, that that what we found is that there was a hoarding stage, uh, and and then and then and then there was indeed elevated consumption, but not at the hoarding stage, and it varied by geography depending where the virus was hitting, uh, and it and it and it so by time and by location. So it was super interesting, and and there was also a lot of learnings from other countries and other parts of the world. So you could actually train your model on like what happened in New York and then apply that at different locations. So, so I mean, it was, you know, it was, and, and, you know, one of the quotes from one of our people, one of our customers was that, that our, our system in three weeks had generated more insights than people they had trained their entire careers. And just because, I mean, the way most companies try to solve the planning problem is they hire lots and lots of planners who are very experienced. But this problem is not something that fits inside a one human brain. And you can't daisy chain brains together to act as one big brain. So what you really need is one big brain uh, to to assist these planners. You still need the human element because there are still blind spots in AI. So the human is still really important, but you need this super calculator to help you figure out the math. So I love the way you describe that. And I'm, I'm curious because uh, you mentioned the augmentation of, of, of people through the, the technology. There are a lot of AI skeptics out there that one feel like it's you know going to come and take all the jobs, and two, I think there's there's definitely a deep rooted fear that some people have around uh, a, a lack of utility that they will have as a result of um, uh, AI kind of taking over. 
Um, what are your thoughts on that just generally in terms of what you've seen and in, in, in some maybe some of the debunking some of those fears in terms of what you've seen with use cases? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I at least as far as I can see out, I, I think it is a bunch of bunk right now. Now, it may cause it might cause localized economic displacement, especially things like in self-driving cars and things like that. But I mean, the reason the reason we picked manufacturing and supply chain is because it's a very, very important problem in the world to solve, right? Reducing waste in the world is a really important thing. And there's huge economic upside. And, and so um, I think that AI actually has the opportunity to solve some of the most important problems in the world working with working with like with people right as as a power tool to solve these problems so i'm an ai optimist when it comes to that um you know we are so far away from you know the 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 autonomous ai becoming super intelligent and realizing that we're all uh uh inefficient and exterminating all of us i mean i it's like i yeah i, I will tell you that the the moment the moment that an AI application writes mathematics that we don't understand, then we can start worrying, right? But it's like we're so we're so far on the other end of it. It's I mean it's 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 interesting to think about. I mean when robotics first came up in factories, people said the same thing. I actually think that that AI will create new industries. It'll create new job opportunities. Um, it it, it, it and like I said, it'll cause economic disruption. And I think it's it's a moral imperative for us to uh, to make sure that we uh, help the people uh, be mobile in in their skills, right? And train people for this this future. And and because there's going to be a lot of things that 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 computers will do, and you don't even need AI for it. But but AI will, I think, extend it of that AI will do that, that, you know, you, especially repetitive tasks, right. That, um, that I think AI will be better at. So, I mean, that's my, that's my view. It's hard to argue with the, the concept of reducing waste. I don't think you'd find any large organization or individual that will dispute that. Um, I can identify a dozen use cases right off the bat that I think noodle.ai would be perfect for. Um, but what are some of the challenges that you find in helping organizations implement it or, or any pushback that they have in terms of uh, existing systems or, or, you know, other processes or lack of knowledge? Well, first of all, I mean, the interesting thing about AI and data science generally is it is it follows the scientific method of hypothesis test, right? So you actually don't know if it's going to work when you start. And we actually spent uh, a couple years trying to find problems that were at the intersection of reducing waste, creating economic good, and were good data science problems. And, and so, I, so I, I think that, that that's been really important. There are a lot of use cases that, that, that don't work, right? So first of all, you need to pick a Sometimes customer, you know, customers used to come to us and say, "Hey, can you do this?" And we'd try it and it wouldn't work. So we've gone uh, completely towards products, right? We sell Athena and Vulcan. We do these specific use cases. 
right? So that increases our confidence. Um, I will say that most of the resistance that we see is uh, is risk aversion, right? I, I think you know if you know it's um, if you look at behavioral economics, uh, you look at the you know, there's one of the famous studies they did, which is they they took a project, a fictitious fictitious project, and said if you do this project, there's a 50% chance you're going to make two million dollars more in profit, and a 50% chance you're going to reduce your profit by a million. So 50%, two million up, 50%, one million down, and they asked the executives how many of you would approve this project, and almost all of them said no. Right, I'm not going to do it. Right, they went to the CEO and said, "How many of these would you have liked your team to implement?" And the CEO says, "All of them." Right, but looking at it from the individual's point of view, they say, "The two million's great. Right, I might get additional benefit, but the if I lose a million, I'm going to lose my job." Right, so so we are a pioneering technology, and we see a lot of this loss aversion and risk avoidance right behavior so i would say that's the the status quo is our biggest competitor fantastic so we think about industries and sustainability and race uh, uh, waste reduction um what industry do you think is the is going to see the biggest benefit or has seen the biggest benefit from your solution well i mean today it's been financial services um, you know, I, I think if you look at all the uh, the high frequency trading, right, all of this, I mean, I, that, that's where that's where it's been applied most. Um, according to McKinsey, it's the areas in which it, it will have the biggest impact is sales and marketing in companies. I think they said it's a four trillion dollar impact uh, uh, of the economy, or I think over the, over the next ten years. And then, and then, uh, manufacturing and supply chain was just right behind it, at, at just below that. And then everything else paled in comparison. So, so I, I think AI will be used to analyze, you know, human behavior and trying to predict what you're going to buy and how we can mani- manipulate all of us to, to, to buy things and send the right messages at the right time. I mean, we're we're already seeing it everywhere, right? Um, we. We did a couple of use cases in that in the early, and it, and it's it, it gets right up against evil, right? Because the the way that the the way you train AI systems is you give it more and more data about the thing you're trying to predict, and if you're trying to predict human behavior, uh, then then you need more and more information in intruding people's privacy, and 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 also humans are inherently less predictable than physical objects. Um, so I have a very hard time predicting what my daughter's going to do. Right. So the, so I, I think, but the, the, but when it comes to inventory and production machines, there it's very predictable. It's physics, right? Now there's a lot of variables. There's thousands and thousands of variables. There's humidity and, and, and chemistry and physics and heat and all these things, but it's predictable. So, so speaking of the thousands of um, data points that have to be processed and analyzed, um, quite a bit is happening in in, in terms of processing uh, power and, and kind of the, the new evolution of 
um, artificial intelligence and um, even uh, networking and data streams. We got 5G. We've got you know quantum computing is starting to be uh, thought of and kind of a focus area of a lot of the, the, the large uh, technology companies. I'm curious as you look five, seven, ten years down the road, you know, one, what does Noodle.ai look like? And then two, you know, what does artificial intelligence look like? How do people describe it? Um, what kind of capabilities will it have in the future? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think if I look at Noodle uh, into the future that, that, I mean, hopefully we'll be the leader in this new uh, layer of intelligence in the tech stack of major corporations, right? Especially in manufacturing and supply chain, right? There is such a need for it right now. You can create such economic benefit. Um, you and 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 it's it's society needs us to do it, right? Shareholders need to do it. Customers need us to do it. The planet needs for us to do it, right? And uh, and so I, I think that every part of your operation should have some le level of, of machine intelligence supporting 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 it. Um, if I ex extend that out, I think that AI will continue to get um, more and more beneficial for the world. Uh, it'll also get a lot creepier, um, and it'll get a lot more evil. I think it'll do all three things. I think you think you're surprised right now by how does my phone know that I was doing this or I was going to do this? It's going to get better and better at that. And and the 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 advertising and targeting and sale, selling is uh, is especially if we allow facial recognition, which has been banned in some places. Um, but all of those things are 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 going to greatly increase the creepiness. And the utility. I mean, there's two ways of thinking about it, right? You know, there's, there's the Neil deGrasse Tyson view of it, which is don't predict what I'm going to do. Let me discover my life, right? And then there's the other people of, hey, that was really convenient, right? Um, uh, unfortunately, I also think that AI is going to be used for for nefarious purposes. And um, I think, you know, I think criminals will start using AI um, if, I mean, if, if you can aggregate all data about people, you know, for, for blackmail, for, uh, unfortunately, I think also the military is going to use more AI and do more autonomous things. And, and so I think we need to, we need to think about where we're going to, you know, regulate AI, where we're going to, you know, invest in AI. I, you know, I, I think that certainly as a country, we should be investing in AI for good. Right. Um, I think if you look at other totalitarian states, of, you know, they're using AI to control their society is is a scary thing. Right. Controlling children, controlling, you know, I, I mean, that to me, that's really, really bad. So this is a very, very powerful tool and it's going to be used for good and evil. And uh, I'm rooting for good. If someone's getting started, if they're listening in and they say, I, I, I love all of the things that you're saying and I, I'd love to, you know, think through different AI strategies within my organization, um, is there any any books or, or podcasts outside of Unlocking Innovation that they should check out to help them get better versed in you know, thinking through how AI can help them uh, achieve their business goals? Uh, yeah, there's tons, tons of them. Lots and lots of good podcasts. Um, um, and uh, but uh, I think 
from a book perspective, if you're if you're a non-technical person, I think Data Science for Business, I think it's by Fawcett, I think, is 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 a is a good is a good book. Um, there's just tons of resources out there. I would just dive in, just start 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 learning. It's um, uh, you know, you, you'll you'll find all kinds of them. Not 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 so standard deviations is a good one, right? Data skeptic. Those are two good podcasts. Yeah. Fantastic. So last question of the day, most important one. What's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? Oh my God. Only one? <laughs> Maybe two. <laughs> um, well, I, I have my here. Okay, I'll tell you what I um, Well, certainly Slack. <laughs> right. Um, the, uh, you know, I would say like the New York Times. Right. Um, of course, there's, you know, my Sonos, which plays my music. So that's, <laughs> so that that's an important one to keep me sane. Absolutely. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I I'm also want to, especially for the listeners, because a lot of our listeners span across a wide range of industries. And um, certainly, uh, um, sure would be interested in, in figuring out if it's applicable to connect with um, Noodle and, and you as well. Is there any particular resource they can find online or a way to connect with you or your company uh, through a website or LinkedIn? Yeah. So um, the our web address is noodle.ai, right? Um, um, my email address is steve at noodle.ai. Um, and um, hopefully I won't be sorry I gave that out. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of good information on our website. Uh, we have a translator so you can look at it from a normal PhD or a robot perspective. So depending on what level of sophistication you want to see, you can just select the translator button. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's the best. Fantastic. Well, well, Stephen, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it. Um, we hope that you and your, your family remain safe during the pandemic and certainly um, appreciate uh, all the great wisdom that you shared today. So thank you very much for being on the uh, podcast. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate May I make one, one plug for math? Absolutely. Right. So there are three things required for AI. There's fast computers, lots of data, and mathematics. Computers are getting a lot faster. Data is getting a lot more abundant. We need more mathematicians, right? So if you're trying to decide what your children are going to study in school, like that is what's going to advance this field. And so please like multiply and, and have a lot of mathematicians in your family. That's a great plug and, and certainly worth one uh, kind of reiterating. Um, I think it's extremely important. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.